LinkedIn presents. I'm Rufus Griscom, and this is The Next Big Idea. Today, you're never too old to grow up. This year, around 4 million kids will graduate from college. You may be one of them. You may know one of them. You may even attend their graduation where you'll have the pleasure of sitting in a folding chair and listening to an eminent speaker dole out cliches. Some of these speakers offer up commandments. Follow your dreams, believe in yourself, and anything is possible. Others issue thinly veiled warnings. You are the future. Don't screw it up. And a few just crack open the dictionary and say things like, Merriam-Webster defines fortitude as strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain or adversity with courage. Not all of them are that bad. I've seen some genuinely inspiring commencement addresses on YouTube, but most of the speeches I've heard in person have been more insipid than inspiring. What a missed opportunity. If I were pulling out the dictionary in preparation for a commencement address, I'd start with the definition of commencement, which means a beginning or start. Your college graduation may feel like a victory lap when it's happening, but in reality, it's the first step in a lifelong journey, the journey of figuring out how to be a grown-up. A journey that I can tell you from experience is never over. So in honor of commencement season, I thought we could use this episode to go on that journey together. We're gonna move past the usual platitudes and listen to advice that might actually help you become a better version of yourself, no matter what stage of life you're in. To do this, we'll have three guides. The first is Next Big Idea Club curator, Daniel Pink. Dan delivered a commencement address this year, but not for any school. He just did it on spec. He did it for you. We're gonna hear that speech, which is about mastering the art of paying attention. After that, we've got two book bites. What's a book bite, you ask? It's the essence of a book, the key insights directly from the author. We have hundreds of them on the Next Big Idea app. We feature a new one every single day. Our first book bite today comes from Stanford Dean turned bestselling author, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and it's based on her recent book, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Finally, we'll hear from Arthur C. Brooks, a Harvard professor and contributing writer at The Atlantic, whose new book, From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life, just spent 11 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. It doesn't matter if you graduated recently or like me 30 years ago, the wisdom these three authors have to share is timeless. I hope you get as much out of listening to them as I have. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Are you paying attention? I know it's hard these days, what with the seemingly infinite number of TV shows to stream, Instagram posts to like, books to read, Twitter feuds to follow, breaking news to skim, video games to learn, and life hacks to master. 
How do you separate the signal from the noise and focus on what really matters? Here with answers is our curator, Daniel Pink. Greetings, class of 2022. Thank you so much for inviting me here today, even though I kind of sort of invited myself. Very soon, you will walk across the stage and receive your diploma. Congratulations, it's a huge achievement. And that piece of parchment with its ornate lettering and perhaps a little Latin will serve you well. It is valuable, very valuable. But it's not the most valuable thing you possess today. Nope, your most valuable possession today and in the future is something you can't see, something you can't touch, something you can't encase in a frame and display on a wall. It is your attention. Most of us don't realize it, but we become what we pay attention to. Eventually, we are what we pay attention to. That has always been true, but it's even truer for you, class of 22, because today there's a war underway for your attention, a ferocious battle to steer your mind, heart, and clicks in this direction instead of that one. Vying for your attention, slugging it out online and in life, are giant companies, bizarro billionaires, ingenious algorithms, crackpot conspiracies, even your own classmates. The most important decision you will make after you've graduated is how you respond to this battle. Let me say it again. We become what we pay attention to. What you pay attention to will determine who you are. So that raises a question. Where should you direct your precious attention? Today, I want to offer an answer. Actually, 20,000 answers. For the last few years, I have been studying regret, that stomach-churning feeling that the present would be better and the future brighter if only we hadn't chosen so poorly or acted so stupidly in the past. Regret is our most misunderstood emotion. It hurts, it lingers, it exists in every place and in every person. A half century of research in social psychology, developmental psychology, neuroscience, and cognitive science shows that this painful emotion is one of our most common. But that's weird, right? Why would something so unpleasant be so ubiquitous? The answer is simple, because it's useful. If we treat our regrets properly, not ignoring them and not wallowing in them, but confronting them, they clarify what we value and instruct us how to live. Let me tell you what I mean. As part of my study, since 2020, I have been collecting regrets from people across the globe, what I call the World Regret Survey. We've now amassed a database of more than 20,000 regrets from people in 109 countries. It's amazing. Around the world, with remarkable consistency, people of all backgrounds and nationalities end up expressing the same four regrets. These core human regrets can show you, can show all of us, where to point our attention. The first of the big four regrets is what I call foundation regrets. Foundation regrets emerge from small choices we make earlier in life that accumulate to negative consequences later in life. We spend too much and save too little. We don't eat right, sleep enough, or exercise regularly. We apply only grudging effort on the job or, yes, in the classroom. Here's an example with particular resonance today. 
I regret that I did not take my college years more seriously, said a 49-year-old man from Virginia. Rather than thinking of the future, I spend too much time enjoying the present. These tiny decisions and indecisions eventually catch up to us and destabilize our lives. Foundation regrets sound like this. If only I'd done the work. The second type of regret, boldness regrets. All regrets begin when we're at a juncture. And with this category, the juncture presents a choice. Play it safe or take the chance. And when we don't take the chance, not all the time, but most of the time, we regret it. I wish I'd taken more career risks, said a 35-year-old woman in California. I've played it too safe. Met the most amazing woman in college, said a 37-year-old man in Ireland, and never found the courage to ask her out. We regret not speaking up, not starting a business, not coming out, not studying abroad, not asking out a crush, not asserting ourselves. Indeed, one of the sturdiest findings in the existing research and in my own is this. Over time, we are much more likely to regret what we didn't do than what we did. Boldness regrets sound like this. If only I'd taken the chance. The third category, moral regrets. Once again, we're at a juncture. We can take the high road or we can take the low road. And when we choose what our conscience says is the wrong path, most of us, most of the time, regret it. We hurt others. We break our word. We degrade what ought to be revered. And while at first the decision can feel fine, even exhilarating, before long it eats at us. I regret being unfaithful to my husband. A 23-year-old California woman reported to the World Regret Survey, that moment of weakness is not worth the pain that follows. A 52-year-old man from New York offered this regret. I bullied a new kid in seventh grade. He was from Vietnam and hardly spoke any English. Horrible. Moral regrets sound like this. If only I'd done the right thing. The final and largest category is connection regrets. These are regrets about all the relationships in our lives, partners, parents, children, siblings, cousins, friends, colleagues, classmates. A 45-year-old woman from the District of Columbia offered this. My brother died suddenly at 41. I regret not saying, I love you more. I regret ending a friendship post-college because she thought I was dating the wrong guy, which I was said a 51-year-old woman in Minnesota. What gives our lives significance and satisfaction are close and meaningful relationships. But without proper tending, those relationships can drift apart. Yet because we feel awkward, we often do nothing, and the drift widens. Connection regrets sound like this. If only I'd reached out. If only I'd done the work. If only I'd taken the chance. If only I'd done the right thing. If only I'd reached out across the world with very little variation based on nationality, gender, or race. These are people's deepest regrets. That's interesting, I think, but it's also instructive because I've discovered that when people tell you what they regret the most, they're also telling you what they value the most. By revealing their regrets, this chorus of 20,000 people offer a reverse image of a life well-lived, a decent foundation, enough stability so that life is not precarious, boldness, a chance to learn and grow and do something meaningful during the vanishingly short time we're alive, morality, being good and decent and just, connection, having people we love and who love us. That's it.
And that, my friends, is where you should point your precious attention. Everything else, ignore it. Seriously, ignore it. Now, this last point is crucial. In all your years of schooling, I bet nobody ever taught you how to ignore. And that's a shame because ignoring will be the secret to your success. You become what you pay attention to, but your attention is limited, not infinite, which means that your ability to pay attention depends on your ability to ignore. The only way to focus on the big things is to disregard most things. So if you ever need guidance about what to ignore, there's someone you should consult. It's someone you haven't even met yet, but who is keenly committed to your best interests. It's the you of 10 years from now. The you of 2032 will know what to do because we can make a pretty safe bet what that person will care about. The you of 10 years from now won't be much different from the 20,000 human beings who have told me their regrets. The person you will be tomorrow will tell you the person you should be today. They'll advise you to build your foundation, to spend less time binge-watching Love is Blind and more time getting a good workout, mastering a new language, or learning how to code. They'll urge you to be bolder, to ask him out, to start that business, to take that adventure, to speak up about a cause, to assert your identity, to try stuff instead of retreating into the false comfort of inaction. They'll press you to avoid the temptation of the low road, to be honest, just, and kind, to become the type of person you'd admire. And they'll direct you to deepen your real, living, breathing relationships, to worry less about impressing strangers on Instagram and more about surrounding yourself with people you genuinely care about and who care about you, to focus less on likes and more on love. So when you're stuck, call email, text, or DM yourself 10 years in the future. Future you will tell current you what 20,000 people have told me over the last two years. Do the work, take the chance, do the right thing, reach out, and ignore the rest. You won't regret it. Thank you, congratulations, and Godspeed to the amazing class of 2022. That was our curator, Daniel Pink, sharing his advice for the class of 2022. Whether you're graduating this year or not, I can't recommend Dan's new book enough. It's called The Power of Regret, How Looking Back Moves You Forward. When we come back, a former Stanford dean shares her advice for how to be a grown-up. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. 
From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show. Our next book bite comes from a writer named Julie Lithcott-Hames, who recently spoke with our producer, Caleb, about her latest book, Your Turn. I give you Caleb and Julie. Hi, Julie. Thanks for being here. Hey, Caleb. Always a pleasure. So I have to say, I read your book, and it made me wince. <laughs> and that's why I loved it, because you know you catalog a set of mistakes that all these young people make when they're trying to stand on their own two feet, right? They spend too much time trying to please other people. They treat their 20s like a dress rehearsal. They convince themselves that saving money is lame. And I'm 30. And when I look back at the last decade, I did every single one of those things. I made all those mistakes. Is this just a millennial problem? Is there something wrong with my generation? Has it been ever thus? It's been ever thus. And I want you to know that I'm sorry you winced, but I'm glad you felt seen. I think that's the meta purpose of this book, Your Turn. It's look, you're struggling a little bit with your young adulthood. I get you. I feel compassion. We got to talk through some tough truths. But at the end of the day, I hope you emerge feeling, wow, she gets me. How did she know? How did I know? None of this is new to the point mm. of your original question. Yeah, there are new things or different things about the world today, this country today that pose their own unique challenges. But the basic skill sets we need young adults to have remain. And so I think this book speaks to the moment, but is also speaking to everyone across time. Well, let's listen to your book bite. Hi, I'm Julie Lithcott-Hames. I write books on human development, and my new book is Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. I'm also a TED speaker, former Stanford dean, former corporate lawyer, and mother of two young adults. I'm rooting for all humans to make it, and my work is around removing the obstacles in our way and those within us. There's nothing wrong with millennials or Gen Zs who are struggling with adulting. Adulting has changed. And much of the responsibility for that falls on those of us who are older. The traditional definition of adulthood from the 19th century was finish school, get a job, leave home, marry, and have children. It's like a rickety wooden ladder made up of five rungs. It needs a major overhaul to keep up with the times. Finish school? Why finish school at 18 or 22 when you're going to live to 90 or 100? School will always be a place to come back to, whether it's to level up your skill set or deepen your intellectual enrichment. Rung number two, get a job. Yes, 
You need a way to support yourself today. But today's workplace looks really different than it did for the parents or grandparents of today's young adults. If you're a millennial or Gen Z, you can't count on a job, let alone a job with benefits and a pension or even a living wage. The minimum wage was created by FDR to provide a worker, in those days most likely a man, and his family more than a bare subsistence level of financial support. But now in many cities, it can't even pay for a one-bedroom apartment. Add to that the fact that student loan debt has skyrocketed in the last few decades. So if you're a young adult, your money won't go as far as it used to, and you are likely to have more debt. Those are the facts. Leave home is the third rung on the ladder. Well, sure, we want our young to fledge the nest. It's our biological imperative as parents to be sure that they can survive without us. And there's nothing like being in your own place to grow you up. But as I've said, even with a full-time job, they might not be able to afford rent in the city or town in which they grew up. So maybe they'll live at home a while longer or get a place with a group of their peers. Point here is adulting isn't about where you live. It's about behaving as an adult no matter where you live. We'll get to what that means in the next big idea. And rungs four and five on the old ladder were get married and have children, hearkening back to a time when women went from being the property of their fathers to being the property of their husbands. Very gendered and very hetero. Today, you can have a partner or not. And regardless of your choices there, you can have children or not. It's so much more up to you than ever. And that's part of the source of the fear many young people have about adulting, that it's entirely up to them, particularly for a generation raised with very involved parents who might have handled every little thing. Freedom, responsibility, and accountability can be quite daunting. But I know that it's also delicious to no longer be a dog on a leash handled by someone else or subjected to someone else's issues. And I'm inviting you to hear what that deliciousness sounds like by telling the stories of countless others who are taking care of business. Like the story of Christine from Illinois, who wrote me a handwritten letter saying she felt a little underbaked in her adulthood because her mother had refused to teach her how to cook, shop for groceries, or clean a bathroom. And we swing from that overmanaged situation to Kyle a kid who grew up in Appalachia with a mother who was addicted to opioids and who took care of his little sister and fashioned a better life for them both by going to college. Adulting. And Danae, a professional dancer in New York City originally from Texas who has a master's degree in dance and massive student loans, who paid off her student loan debt with such discipline that when someone was eating her carefully budgeted for food at work, She put a little note on the common refrigerator that read, please stop eating my food. I'm paying off my student loans. And when she succeeded, bonus, Danae became a financial advisor as her side hustle. So to the rest of us, the older folks among us, I say, let's stop calling these young folk lazy and start acknowledging that things are quite challenging these days. And that was the case before the pandemic. If adulting isn't those five rungs on that old-fashioned ladder, then what is it? It's a time span, simply the stage of life between childhood and death. It doesn't come with a checklist. It's a process, a mindset, a way of being. 
But fundamentally and very basically, adulting means tag, you're it. It's on you. And you're going to fall, fail, flail, flounder, and fumble a lot. And that's normal. I call these life's beautiful F words. You're expected now to fend for yourself more or less. Yes, get advice and help when you need it, but make your own choices. Solve your own problems. Handle the setbacks. You're not going to be perfect at it. Nobody is. You're just learning and growing as you go, doing what you choose and dealing with the consequences. Yes, but also reaping the rewards. You're a human who now has agency, the sense that I can do the tasks in front of me. In addition to agency, you are building resilience, the sense that I can cope with the stuff that happens to me, which only ever develops by experiencing adversity and bouncing back from it. And finally, as an adult, you have to realize that there is more than you in this world and that you need to contribute to, participate in, and co-create this society with others. Yes, there's the practical stuff around adulting, like knowing how to iron your shirt, change a tire, and file your taxes, that kind of thing. But you can learn those things on YouTube. In your turn, I do cover the basics of fending for yourself, but I delve deeply into the fact that you need to want to adult. And there are all kinds of reasons that you might be stuck. We'll meet Jim from St. Louis, who was leading the life his immigrant parents had dreamed for him, who had his hand thrust into the wide open mouth of a stranger in his second year as a dental student at an elite university when he finally said to himself, If I don't even enjoy this now, how am I going to feel in five or ten years? What am I doing? And he went on a trek to find out who he was when he wasn't on the fast track of life. We'll meet Stefania from California by way of Hawaii, who was married to her fresh out-of-college sweetheart and co-creating the field we now call social media influencer marketing when she realized her husband was continuing to utterly fail to pitch in. We see them in couples therapy time and time again. And in the final session, there she is with a baby on her lap thinking, I'm done. And she was done. And that's when she got unstuck and her life began to shine. Forget the right track. There is no right track. There is no track for that matter. There isn't a type of job you're supposed to have or a type of person you're supposed to love. Life is a wide open landscape, and as the Spanish poet Antonio Machado said, the path is made by walking. And in your turn, I'm here up ahead to help you out by shining a warm light back your way that illuminates the stuff you might not see. Your task is to move forward. As you make your way, start to notice the messages in your head about where you should go. Notice how many voices of expectation and judgment there are in your head and who is uttering them, and gradually begin to listen more and more for the sound of your own voice telling you where you would go if it was only up to you. In your turn, I insist that you have the right to stop listening to other people's expectations and judgments because those folks have no idea who you are. This isn't their path you're walking along. It isn't their life it's yours. Even if others say they know what's best for you, especially if others say that, you need to insist, no, I'm going to be the decider. I'm at least going to try to follow my own sense of things, my why. For work, 
keep trying different things until you find something you're both good at and you love. That's the Venn diagram you seek. The overlap is key because if you're just good at something but you don't love it, you'll feel like a drone in your life, no matter how much you're paid or how loudly people applaud. And if you love it but you're not particularly good at it and aren't likely to get better at it with effort, then that's not going to be your work. It's going to be your hobby. Pay attention to how you feel in your work and let those data guide you toward better things. It might take you a while to find it, and that's just fine. And wherever you go in the wide open landscape of life, it's less scary out there if you have a few humans right there alongside you. So throw out the childhood mantra, don't talk to strangers, and start talking to strangers. Meet people. Humans are everywhere, and contrary to what you've been told, most of them are perfectly fine. Even more, research shows that whether you live a long and happy life has less to do with your cholesterol level at 50 and more to do with the quality of your relationships at 50. So figure out with whom you feel a sense of belonging and join up with those folks. Get better at being good to humans and bond tightly to some small set of them. You need them and they need you. In this section of the book, you'll meet Ashley. Originally a kid from Florida, now working in college access in the Boston area, who, when she made her way out into the world, was so afraid of conflict that when she and her roommates had a disagreement, she would just move out instead of talking it through. You'll be glad to know she learned. You'll meet a physician named Akshay, who grew up in Michigan, whose parents refused to accept that he was gay, yet after 10 years came around to embracing their son for who he is and accepted his partner too. And you'll meet Joe, a theater director from Dallas whose father never got it and refused to come around, and from whom Joe is now estranged, yet living his best life as a theater artist in Alabama with his soulmate Emily, who was the first person to show him what unconditional love looks like. Having good work and good humans in your life will make this adulting path you're walking along feel absolutely sublime. Keep going. Bad things happen. Hello, pandemic. Good things happen too. Regardless of whether it's good or bad, most of it is beyond your control. All you are in charge of is your own actions and reactions, which is harder than it sounds. You need to look after yourself. And you can. Adulting takes work. But the more things you encounter, the stronger and more confident and more resilient you get. At some point, when the bad things happen, you'll go, where are the adults? Then you'll go, crap, it's me. It takes time to figure out who and how to be and to get good at being that person. Don't wait to start. It's happening now. Your adulthood is underway. Go. It's your turn. You know, so listening to that, Julie, I can't help but wonder, and I think a lot of listeners probably can't help but wonder about your own journey to adulthood. And this is something you've also written about it in your beautiful 2017 memoir, Real American. I wonder if you could tell us, tell us briefly first about your parents and then about your own path to adulthood, because they're, they're both remarkable stories. Wow, Caleb, thank you. Well, I know this is meant to be short, but you've asked me a very big Question. Yeah, let me please tell me your entire life story. Let me start the stopwatch. <laughs> In 35 seconds. Do yeah, I have 39 seconds? seconds? Okay. It's a Super Bowl well, commercial. Let me, if you're let me live. try to. <laughs> uh, a Super Bowl commercial. Wow, that'd be amazing. Um, 
Look, my parents transgressed the rules of society by daring to fall in love, marry, and have a child. Me. And I came into this world in 1967 pretty quickly sensing something's wrong with daddy, my black parent. Something might be wrong with me, this little brown-skinned offspring of my parents. My mother is white. And also I could tell that my parents' marriage uh, was also considered unacceptable to many. So I think I came in here to this world, to this life, inherently feeling a lot of compassion for anybody who's the other, the marginalized, the unseen, the misunderstood, because I was misunderstood before I really knew how to say much. So that's my journey. It explains to me why I do feel a deep and abiding interest in all of us making it, which is, you know, I'm, I'm not a an egotist in that sense. I'm not, a, I don't have a Messiah complex. Like I want to help everybody, but right. at a really basic level, I do want to actually try to help those I can. And that's what I've tried to do in this book. So I outline my own journey of, so I went to law school to try to help humans to be a public interest lawyer, but turns out I was so insecure as a young woman of color. I didn't go into public interest. I went toward corporate law, which was where I thought the applause and approval of society uh, would be. And it was, but it turned out it wasn't aligned with my why, my values about what matters to me. It wasn't aligned with why I knew I was on the planet. So I had this dissonance of outwardly successful, making good money, yet miserable, which led me to pivot to being a university dean to try to help young people make better choices sooner than I had. And then what I learned as a dean, seeing too many overparented young people, led me to pivot yet again and write my first book on the harm of overparenting. But overparenting is just an obstacle that gets in kids' way. I'm ultimately rooting for the kids. And in that sense, your turn is not a pivot away from the original topic, but rather an underscoring of the very focus of that original topic, overparenting, ultimately being about young people thriving. Well, thank you for rooting for the kids. Thank you for rooting for me. Um, I do. It's been really Root nice to for talk you, Caleb. to you. No more wincing, okay? <laughs> no more wincing. Or let's, let's wince together and then support one another in living our best lives. I love it. Thank you, Julie. Thanks, Caleb. That was our producer, Caleb, speaking with Julie Lithcott-Hames about her new book, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Your Turn is a guide to living your best life in those first post-college years. But how do you sustain that? How do you find success, happiness, and deep purpose in the second half of life? We'll have the answers right after the break. The Next Big Idea is sponsored by The Next Big Idea Club. That's right. The Next Big Idea is more than just a scintillating podcast with a debonair host. It's part of the coolest learning platform on the planet. Here's how it works. Every season, our curators, Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, Susan Cain, and Daniel Pink, handpick dozens of the best new books. Then we partner with the authors of those books to create Book Bites. These are 12-minute audio summaries written and read by the authors themselves, and the only place you can find them is in the Next Big Idea app. And that's not all you'll find once you download it. Our app also has beautiful audio and video e-courses, ad-free versions of this podcast, bonus author conversations, and lots of other mind-expanding content. Download the Next Big Idea app today. Better yet, do it right now. Pause this recording, go to your app store, and search for Next Big Idea. Getting smarter has never been so easy.
Welcome back. Our final book by today comes from Arthur C. Brooks. Arthur is a professor at both the Harvard Kennedy School and at the Harvard Business School. He's a contributing writer at The Atlantic. Here he is with five insights from his recent bestseller, From Strength to Strength. This is Arthur Brooks, author of From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. This is a book about getting happier as we get older. It starts on an airplane as I was flying from coast to coast some years ago, and I overheard a conversation from a couple. They sounded like an elderly couple, a man and a woman, and I suppose they were probably a married couple. The husband was explaining to the wife that he might as well be dead, that no one remembered him anymore, no one loved him or appreciated him anymore. His wife was trying to console him, and this went on for a long time. At the end of the flight, when we all stood up, I turned around to get a look, and it turned out to be one of the most famous men in the world. I realized right then and there that our model for happiness is mostly wrong. To work and work, to achieve and and succeed and bank the results and die happy, well, it doesn't work that way. We need a better model of how we can get happier. We need new secrets. We need the truth. And that's what this book is all about. There are five big ideas in this book. The first is a a happy truth, which is that happiness is not just up to chance. To begin with, it's not a feeling. The feeling of happiness is like the smell of the turkey at your Thanksgiving dinner. It's not the dinner itself. No, happiness is a set of elements. It's made up of enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose. And we can control all those things, not perfectly, but a lot more than we typically think. The truth is that happiness does not have to be left up to chance, and we can get happier as we get older. The first big idea, the first big truth in this book, is that each of us can be happier at 75 than we were at 25. The second big idea is a little bit less, uh, let's say, encouraging than the first. It's called the striver's curse. The striver's curse is the fact that there are two groups of people after about age 70 in the population. One group gets happier and happier as they age, and the other group gets less and less happy. It's about 50-50 if you look at the data. Now, most people think that to be on the upper branch, to get happier as you get older, you have to be one of the successful people. The people who do a lot with their lives, they see a lot of worldly success because then I guess you can dine out on your success and go out happy. Well, it's not true. The striver's curse is that the people on the lower branch, the people who tend to get unhappier as they age, they tend to be the ones who experienced a lot more success earlier in their lives. And it kind of makes sense. What goes up must come down. Look, if you don't do anything with your life, you won't know when it's over. But if you do a lot with your life and the party ends, you're going to notice the difference. That contrast is really hard to take. So we need secrets, even if we're strivers, even if we're doing a lot, to get happier. Point three in this book is that to get happier as we age, we have to recognize that our natural strengths change, and we need to get from one success curve to the second success curve. Early in life, we have a lot of what psychologists call fluid intelligence. Now, that increases through your 20s and 30s. It increases faster if you work harder on it. 
but it decreases in your 40s and 50s. Fluid intelligence is your ability to work hard with focus, to solve problems, your analytic capacity, what makes you kind of a, a lone cowboy, a sole proprietor, a superstar, the hot lawyer, the good surgeon, maybe the incredibly inventive and intelligent electrician. In almost every job, fluid intelligence early on in your life makes you good at what you do. But it comes down, as I just mentioned. Second, however, there's another kind of intelligence that you get later in life called crystallized intelligence that increases through your 40s and 50s. It stays high through your 60s and 70s and even beyond. That's not all about working hard and focusing. Now, that's about wisdom and passing on knowledge. You get wiser as you get older, which means you know a lot and you know how to use the information. It also means you're a much better teacher. The best teachers are older people. So early on, you have fluid intelligence. Later on, you have crystallized intelligence. The trick is to go from fluid to crystallized, to go from innovator to instructor. The fourth big point in the book is one of the things that all happy older people have in common is that they don't just know how to add things to their lives. They also know how to subtract things from their lives. Early on, when you're making it in life, your life is like a a canvas that you're filling up with paint creatively, with energy, with enthusiasm, more brushstrokes, more paint. And it's all up to you. And what you paint is just as limited only as your imagination. But after a certain point, that canvas gets pretty full. To be happy, you need to change the metaphor from a canvas you're filling up to a, a block of marble that you're chipping away. In the second half of your life, to be an artist in the, the subject of you, you need to become a sculptor, to chip away things that aren't you, the possessions, the, the, the attachments, the beliefs, even the opinions, all the stuff that distracts you from the serious business of being you. To be happy as you get older, remember Don't just add, subtract. Don't just have a bucket list. No, have a reverse bucket list for every year on your birthday. You look at the five or 10 things you want to get rid of because they're holding you back. The last big idea is about love. One of the most interesting things in the big scientific literature, the neuroscience and social science of happiness, is that happiness is based on love. Love is the nuclear fuel of happiness, and if you don't have a lot of love in your life, you can't get happier as you get older. And that means you need to work on the love in your life. You need to cultivate the relationships in your life, whether they're your friendships or your family relationships or your marriage, and you got to see them get better as you get older so that you can get happier as you get older. Here's something to think about. The aspen tree is a stately masterpiece. It looks like it's all alone, isolated, but majestic. And you can take shade under it. It's a beautiful tree. But the truth of the matter is that an aspen tree is not a good metaphor for the sole striver, the successful person at all. See, the aspen tree is actually not one plant. An entire grove of aspen trees is one plant. They have the same root system, the largest living organism, the largest organism in the world is a stand of aspen trees in Utah called Pando that's 106 acres, 6 million kilograms of wood. That's one plant. And that's you too. You're not a solitary aspen tree as an individual. No, you're part of a vast root system. And if you want to get happier as you get older, you need to cultivate your root system, not just look out for your leaves and your individual tree. 
How do you think about this? Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're a striver and successful, but you're kind of lonely and your relationships have become attenuated. Here's one way to think about it. Successful people, they usually have a lot of people around them. They have a lot of deal friends. How many real friends do you have? Go from deal to real and watch yourself get happier. That was Arthur C. Brooks with five big ideas from his book, From Strength to Strength. Before that, we heard from Julie Lithcott-Hames and Daniel Pink. I want to thank all three of them for being part of the Next Big Idea Club family. And speaking of Next Big Idea Club family, before we go, I want to bring on a member of the team, the man behind the book bite curtain, Michael Kovnat. Hi, Michael. Hey, Rufus. How are you? Michael, we co-founded the Next Big Idea Club together three years ago, and you're now the club's VP of product and development, which means you make this podcast, you're responsible for our beautiful e-courses, and you're the mastermind behind our book bites. You're also a dear old friend. Yes, that is right. I can claim all those things to be true. Uh, yeah, we we were actually in college together, although we only really became friends after college. Um, but we did we did have some overlapping experiences for sure. That's true. And what was your college graduation experience? Do you remember it? You know what I mostly remember about it was this suffocating dread and anxiety that I was feeling because I had no plan for after graduation. And I had, you know, I had gone right from high school to college and I always felt like I knew it was ahead of me the next year. It was all kind of laid out for me. And this was the first time where there was no plan. I had no job lined up. I wasn't going to grad school. And I, I just remember feeling like, you know, the floor was just being pulled out from under me. I was on my own. I had to make decisions for the first time. And I was panicky and wished that I had planned ahead. You know, Michael, I think part of the problem was that Brown University in the late 1980s was way too much fun. We had, <laughs> there was yeah. enormous amounts of fun that was had which is different from, I think, today's undergraduates who, based on what I hear, are incredibly vocationally focused. Well, I think they're wise to be so because, you know, it's a, you know, I I, I did have a good time and I, I got a good education, but it, I didn't get a lot of practical preparation for uh, the next stage of my life. Um, so I felt like once I graduated, I had to like start my education all over again in terms of figuring out like, how to how to get a job, how to, you know, how to deal with real life stuff. You know, at that point I was 22, 21. Like I, I was old enough that I should have been more self-sufficient and self-reliant. What I think you needed, Michael, was the Next Big Idea app and Next Big Idea podcast with wise counsel like what we've delivered today. Yeah, I think I think the stuff that we heard is just the kind of life advice I could have used back then. And I encourage all of our listeners to uh, think hard about where they're going next and how to, at whatever stage they're in, how to be a grown-up. Well, Michael, I think you've done a phenomenal job. I'm so glad we've been on this journey together. And uh, I, I, I think uh, I'm excited to see all the things you accomplish and all the things that we do together in the next half of our lives. Yes, we are very much works in progress, and uh, I look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you, Michael. Thanks again to Daniel Pink, 
Julie Lipcott-Hames, and Arthur Brooks. You can listen to their book bites and hundreds more in the Next Big Idea app. If you haven't downloaded it already, go to your app store and search for Next Big Idea. There is no better way to get smart fast. If you like this show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you really like the show, we would be ever so grateful if you would tell your friends, cousins, Uber drivers, leave us a five-star rating and a review if you think we've earned it. It really helps us get the word out. Our executive producers are Caleb Bissinger and Michael Kavnat. Sound design by Mike Toda. We hope our relationship with the team at LinkedIn is just commencing. I'm your host, Rufus Griskin. See you next week.